On this episode, I'm in the room with Crawford Loritz discussing his book, Unshaken, Real Faith and a Faithful God. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 46. I'm Ryan Hughley, and if you're listening for the first time, I'm the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. I'd love to stay connected online, so visit my blog at ryanhughley.com to find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This week, I'm in the room with Crawford Loritz, pastor and author of the new book, Unshaken, Real Faith in Our Faithful God. In my conversation with Crawford, we discuss how faith differs from mere optimism, why it seems to come easier for some rather than others, and how we can grow in our faith. We had a great conversation, and I want to invite you to listen in. So come on in the room for my chat with Crawford Loritz. Well, Crawford, thanks so much for coming on in the room. I really appreciate it, and I'm excited to talk about your new book, Unshaken, Real Faith in Our Faithful God. Uh, But before we do that, if you could just uh, give people a little bit of background uh, for those who aren't familiar with you. I know that you've served in a lot of different places, in a lot of different roles, and so if we could just start at the beginning and tell me a little bit about where you're from originally. Yeah, I was born in uh, northern New Jersey. I was born in Newark, New Jersey, and spent the first 12 years of my life there. And then our family moved to Plainfield, New Jersey, which sets all on metropolitan New York area. Okay. And uh, it was there in Plainfield um, when I was 13 years old that I gave my heart to Jesus. I actually, it wasn't even our home church. It was uh, my, I have an older sister who uh, started going to this other church in town. She was influenced by a high school girlfriend. And uh, she invited me to come to church with her, and I did. And, uh, of course, I grew, I grew up in a Christian home, um, but for some reason the gospel didn't stick. But it was on that second Sunday in January 1964 uh, that uh, the gospel stuck. I heard the message. There was an invitation given, and I came forward, and the pastor said, Son, what is it you want from God? And I told him I wanted to know Christ, and and uh, that was the day that I entered the kingdom. And... Um, uh, sweet group of people. I uh, went to that church. I was discipled by some great folks, prayer warriors there that believed in me uh, so much so that I started preaching when I was 16 years old. But I tell people, wow. uh, I think you, you probably shouldn't listen to anything I said until I was about 25 or 26. But <laughs> 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 but uh, but they just poured into me and uh, gave me an incredible foundation and modeled Christ likeness and self-sacrifice and service and all of that to me. And uh, then I went off to uh, college in Philadelphia, to Philadelphia uh, College of Bible back then, but uh, it's now called Cairn University. That's where I have my bachelor's degree and um, met my bride there. Uh, We were married at the end of uh, uh, my junior year, and uh, we've been married now for 44 years. In fact, next year we're celebrating the 45, and she's just been the joy of my life. from there, I worked with the American Missionary Fellowship as an evangelist uh, um, for four years, and then in 1976, moved to Dallas, Texas, and Tony Evans uh, and myself uh, co-founded Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship there in Dallas, was there from 76 to 78, and in 1978, we uh, moved here to Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, joined the staff of Campus Crusade for Christ, and was on staff with Campus Crusade for 27 wonderful years, and uh, just can't tell you um, uh, how that ministry has helped form and shape a lot of my passion for the world and for the lost and uh, gave me an incredible opportunity to serve. And in 2005, 
uh, sensing that I needed to be a better steward of the preaching and teaching um, calling that God has given to me, and I uh, uh, became the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church uh, here in the Atlanta area, and that's where we serve now. I've been there for 10 years, and uh, just a great, great group of people. That's awesome. Well, uh, one of the things that I really appreciated about you uh, is anytime I get an opportunity to be around a pastor who has grown children who still love Jesus, uh, I want to be able to soak up as much as I can. Ministry is a negative for so many uh, families, at least that's what we hear so much of. And so uh, a lot of people might be familiar with your son, Brian, uh, who's a gifted preacher, but I know you have grown kids who love the Lord. And so when you reflect on that and you think about that, um, what are some things that you can point to and say, you know what, by God's grace, I really think that we got this right. Well, you know, um, I can tell you, first of all, let me just say this, and this is not false humility. Uh, Karen and I know of uh, folks, uh, couples who have been much better parents than, than we've been, and, uh, and yet their children have made some bad choices. And okay. so sometimes I think, what's the old line? You take too much credit when your kids... Uh, uh, walk with God and turn out and too much blame when they don't. So right. I, 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 we say this with an open hand. I think several things, though, I would say. One was that, you know, I was scared to death um, as we were raising our kids. I traveled a great deal when they were young, okay. and I was speaking in, on college campuses across the U- U.S., some out of the country. But I, I can remember many, many, many nights waking up and some – small college motel uh, uh motel in some small college town or whatever and slipping out of my uh, out of my bed onto my knees and literally crying out to God please don't let my kids grow up to be bitter because I have to be away and yeah. uh so I think uh in large part you know it was the mercy of God um I think the other thing was that my wife is just absolutely incredible uh, my kids would tell you that the consistency of their mother uh, was a great part in their growth and their development. And Karen, um, you know, our wives helped to shape the attitudes of our children concerning, you know, what dad does and, and the direction of their lives. And uh, my wife was, uh, you know, she's always been um, a team member, creating a positive attitude of our calling as a family. Um, that was part of it. Another part of that is that our kids, um, as much as I could, I, I took them with me and, uh, they got a chance to see, uh, my interaction with people and sharing the gospel. And, uh, I think that that, that sort of influenced them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and, you know, and I tried to keep regular routines with them. I had a, um, a weekly Bible study with uh, with our sons, and my wife did the same with our daughters, and uh, just try to keep open access with them, and uh, try to be there on their special occasions and that sort of thing. But it was just a, just a matter of of modeling and connecting our hearts to them, um, and by the grace of God, you know that it, it caught. And I to say this quickly, you know, our people uh, say very kind things about our sons who are both preachers they're in the ministry they're both pastoring and they're doing great and stuff and but the truth of the matter is uh, i 
I never thought that either one of them were going to be pastors when they were growing up. I, I thought mine was going to be a lawyer or some businessman. He always had a little deal going. And, and then I thought, I thought our son, Brendan, who was a, it was a phenomenal baseball player. I thought he was going to be my early retirement program. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we got two daughters who are great too. They love the Lord and our oldest daughter, Heather is married to a worship pastor, and he's the voice of the That's Memphis awesome. Grizzlies there in Memphis. And our our youngest daughter, she and her husband both are physicians, and they're up in Grand Rapids, and they love Jesus. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being willing to share all that. I appreciate uh, it very much. Mm-hmm. I want to shift gears just a little bit. I want to talk about the new book, Unshaken, yes. Real Faith in Our Faithful God. And I know from reading it that it was birthed out of a sermon series. And so I was curious, what caused you uh, to feel led to turn it into a book? Well, you know, when I, as, as you said, when I first gave the series, um, I uh, uh, I didn't feel um, that the the messages were I don't know how to put this where there's sometimes you preach a message and it just in your heart as you're preaching, it just resonates deeply. Uh, I didn't necessarily feel that way, although I felt that it was connecting with the people, but the response of the people was pretty incredible that it, it hit a nerve. And, uh, and because of that and the need that it met, uh, and you know, the people who heard it, uh, we have a podcast, our messages and that kind of thing and the response that we got from it, I just really felt that, well, Lord, maybe this is something that um, uh, the broader body of Christ could use and to be a blessing of help to them. And so that's what really drove me to put it in book form. Oh, man, I, I never cease to be amazed at uh, the sermons that I think are like lights out, nobody cares about at all. <laughs> and then those weeks where I feel like I was just lucky to not fall off the stage in the middle of preaching are are the ones that God ends up really using. <laughs> in, in preaching, a humbling thing, man. Oh, absolutely. It's is. a humbling thing. It's a, and the other deal is, is that you know, you spend hours preparing a message, and sometimes the thing that is most impactful is a little aside thing that you say, an observation you make, an unplanned illustration, and you go, hmm, that could have saved me a few hours. <laughs> yeah, God is so, so good. Well, good. I've, I feel good about the fact then that it's not just me. No, no. Uh, I wanted to ask you, how would you summarize, for people that haven't read the book yet, how would you summarize the big idea? Well, what, I, what, I, what I'm trying to say is that uh, uh, faith is God-confidence, and, mm-hmm. um, and that it's lodged in our uh, immovable, stable, all-powerful, the same yesterday, to, today, and forever God. And uh, what I'm trying to, trying to articulate in, in sort of a sort of an experiential way from the scriptures is that um, our view of God determines the resiliency and strength of our faith. That's good. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you're careful about in the book is to more describe than define faith, and I was wondering why you made the decision to approach it that way. Yes. Well, you know, when you search the scriptures, really, technically, you um, you don't find what I would call a specific definition of faith, but what you find are clear descriptions of faith. And uh, I think I, and I say in, 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 the, uh, in the introduction of the book itself that, 
it's sort of like if you ask me to define my love for my wife, I, I, I can't do that. I can't define my love for Karen, but, right. it, but I can describe it in unmistakable ways that you feel and sense and know what it is. And, uh, you know, and here's the point, here's the point. I think the reason for that is that, you know, God, God assumes that if you know him, you're going to believe him. That's good. And so that doesn't need to be, that does not need to be defined. Right. It is described as a substance of things hopeful and the evidence of things not seen. It is described as being uh, faith is obedience and faith is endurance and, and all these things describe it in crystal clear ways, but there's no definition there. Well, as I've heard people talk about faith, I've, I've sensed that maybe what they're describing is more optimism. And so I was wondering what you think about that and how you see faith differing from just mere optimism. Well, it's the difference between certainty and uncertainty. Okay. Uh, not certainty in the sense that we know some, how something is going to specifically work out, but certainty in the sense that of the object of our faith. That's good. And so the difference between optimism and faith is, is that certainty. We know that God exists, and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That's right. There's no question about whether or not uh, He is able or His ability. So... Our faith is lodged in someone that is sure and secure. That's good. Uh, optimism is, is a moving target, though. Me, right. it's like, yeah, yeah. I, I hope this happens. I wish it happens, and maybe this will take place. And I'm claiming this, and then we hijack some Bible verses out of context and slap it on that, and we call it faith. When what what it really is is a is a rootless uh, optimism. That that God is not obligated to to fulfill or to meet. Yeah, that's helpful. Well, you know, I've I've noticed there's all different kinds of people, and uh, for certain people, like I'll just speak for myself. I grew mm-hmm. up in a Christian home, had good relationship with my parents, uh, and faith for me has never been something that has been super difficult. Like I've never gone through a major season where I wondered if God was real, that if he was in control, if he was uh, good. Uh, I've just never gone through that. But then you meet other people, and and faith is a really significant challenge for them. And so why do you think that faith at least appears to come easier for some people rather than others? Oh, you know, I I think that there, there are a number of factors. I okay. think some people have personalities that um, are confident and sure and trusting, um, they just lend themselves that way. And I think sometimes it's just that makeup. Okay. Uh, some of us are born with, with, uh, um, it appears more insecurities, uh, in the area of belief than other people are and there's fear in our lives. There's a number of factors, you know, um, at growing up authority figures could have let us down or been inconsistent in our lives. And right. we have a tendency to project that on God and have trouble trusting him. Uh, maybe we've experienced some devastating experiences in our lives, uh, the loss of someone that we prayed for that didn't get healed, and uh, a tragedy took place, and uh, why did God let this happen? And so we struggle with disappointment with God, and that puts a cloud over that. So I think there's an assortment of, of reasons. Uh, but here's something that, I, I, that I, I think we need to come to grips with, and that is that, um, you know... <laughs> I don't care how strong your faith is, your faith is never as strong as it should be. 
Yeah. Uh, meaning, meaning that faith is a journey, and I don't think anybody ever masters uh, uh, the you know faith as this is I, I've arrived at this point. Um, to be sure, we're going to exercise faith as long as we are breathing in this side of heaven. That's good. Sorry to interrupt the conversation, but I wanted to tell you about a new project I'm excited about, and I think you will be too. My good friend and worship pastor at Redemption Bible Church has just recorded and released his first five-song EP called Lift You Higher. You probably don't know, but Scott does all the editing and engineering for In the Room, so if you've enjoyed the podcast as much as I have, we are both indebted to Scott. Lift You Higher is made up of five songs that we love and we believe will increase your affection for Jesus and give you fresh words to worship Him. Lift You Higher is available everywhere digital music is sold, so take a few minutes and check it out on iTunes or Spotify. If it blesses you, we'd be honored if you shared it with a friend or help us spread the word on social media. So when you're done listening to this episode of In the Room, jump on over to iTunes or Spotify and check out Lift You Higher from my friend Scott Holdhouse. We can say we thirst no longer What would you say are some of the enemies of faith? Well, you know, I write about that in the book. I list a, a number of enemies of faith. Um, you know, I, I think it's fear of the future uh, that we, we have to be careful of. Uh, I think it's trusting. Um, that we, we, need to be, we need to be very careful that we don't shift our, our sense of, of confidence in God to the uh, from who he is to the gifts that he gives to us. That's good. And we hold on, hold on to those things. You know, um, I think some other enemies of faith is just, just the world in which we live right now. Yeah. You know, um, where, where we, we want to, we want to be secure. We want everything to work out. We want to make sure that our, our plans are, are, you know, they're just sort of locks off. And we can trust in the process more than we can the provider. That's good. And so you got to be careful of what you're holding on to, what you're what you're trusting in. You know, God gives us these things, but you know, He can take them away at any given moment. So I think that those are a few um, few things that erode our faith. And uh, you know, I think I think the, the, another big thing though is that you know I say this in the book that faith and fear cannot occupy the same territory. And, um, and, you know, faith, faith by its very nature defies our circumstances. And so we've got to choose faith over the conditions in which we find ourselves. And God allows us to be placed in those positions and places where, you know, there, there, there's opposition and there's insurmountable, um, odds against us and how are we going to get through this just so that he proves himself. And it serves as a mirror to, to us to say, okay, are, is your fear greater than who I am? And when we move ahead shaking, albeit, <laughs> and, and zipping maylocks, but as we move forward nervously, putting our feet on the promises of God, then we experience God coming, in, uh, coming through during those gaps in our lives. So all, all that to say is that Faith is faith only when we face those things that oppose faith. 
That's um, good. And that, that's when you really experience it. Yeah. Well, pastors have a huge responsibility in this in people's lives. And so when you think about your own ministry, what are some ways that pastors can work to promote faith in the lives of their people? Well, you know, uh, there, there's a principle that um, I, I talk about this in my other book entitled Leadership as an Identity. You know, in the Bible, leadership is prophetic in the sense that the leader has to be the desired destination at which others arrive. That's good. And so the very first thing that we need to do as pastors is not so much just preach about it, but live it. That's good. Uh, they need to see us trusting God and believing Him. And our leadership style has got to be one that is not so buttoned up and so secure and sure that, you know, we have all these plans and these other things that, that we're confident that we can pull the trigger. But our people need to see us believing God for things, uh, and I don't mean just giving God stuff to do, but, but realizing that we spent time in his presence and that we're listening to him and that we, we, we are pressing into these God-sized dreams and vision that he gives to us. And so that when we preach on faith, there's credibility to it. We, we are trusting God as much as we're asking people to trust him. That's good. Well, I wanted to pay you a compliment because uh, uh, the other day you were speaking at Trinity, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the members of our church is a seminary student there, and he texted me about five minutes into your sermon, and he was like, you got to get Crawford on your podcast. And I said, well, he's coming on tomorrow, so that worked out really great. Uh, but he tweeted something uh, in the middle of your sermon that I thought uh, really points to the very thing that you're talking about. He said, you can listen to some people preach for five minutes and know that they fear God, and oh. Crawford is one of those people. And uh, I just thought that that was a really amazing, uh, both compliment and encouragement, Mm -hmm. but also shows that you're embodying Mm -hmm. and living Mm -hmm. out the very thing that you're calling us to. And so I I hope that you find that as an encouragement. Wow. 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 Man, that is a high honor. And I just pray for me that I live up to that. But, you know, here's another point, though, that he's raising. One of the things that... um, I have said for years, because it's been true in my own life and experience, that faith and courage, they're not the absence of fear. Um, they're, they're not. But if, if, you, if we fear God more than we do what is in front of us, we will always come out on the faith side. That's good. And so it's, it's, it's the direction of our fear, isn't it? Yeah. If, if, I, if I look to him and say, God, this thing is scaring me to death, but you are greater than what is what is what is uh, intimidating me. That's You're right. the ancient of days, and I choose to believe you and to look through this. Uh, when I in the book I talk about Abraham's faith in a great passage in in, uh, in Romans chapter four. <laughs> you know Abraham and Sarah, God's problem. They're gonna baby, and I just you know just to be straight up. I mean Abraham and Sarah look at each other and say, you know the plumbing ain't working anymore, and uh, <laughs> that's I right. I don't know how this is going to happen, but yet they considered the situation and they kept believing. They chose to believe the promise of God over their circumstances. Well, what, what I want to point out here, though, is this. Faith is not denial. That's right. The, the operative word in that passage is that they considered. Yep. They didn't say that, oh, this pain does not exist or we, uh, you know, um, um, I still can... Uh, there's still seed in me, and I can still do all all that kind of stuff that some of our friends in in the whole um, 
prosperity movement and the name it and claim it folks who, you know, they, they define faith as denial. Well, in the Bible, faith never denies the reality of challenge. It's good. Neither does it deny the existence of opposition. But what it does is that it looks straight through it, it analyzes it, it appreciates it in one degree, but it looks through it to, the, to see God himself, and it defies that and chooses to believe what God says over against what confronts them. That's good. Or what confronts us. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's helpful. Uh, I want to shift gears, though, a little bit, because uh, mm-hmm. I want to learn a little bit more about just your life and your ministry. So some kind of rapid-fire questions. I'd curious to hear what you have to say about this. But when you think about uh, your ideal week, which I know there's not really any such thing as that, uh, but you have a number of hats that you wear and responsibilities that you're juggling, but what does your ideal week look like? <laughs> well, there's not there's not an ideal week if you're pastoring for the most part. I know, <laughs> you know? I know. Uh, you know, and I do I do some travel and stuff like this. But here's typically a rhythm that I I try to keep. Uh, now, you know, I have some occasional trips, and and then I have to work around that. Um, well, beginning with Mondays, uh, Mondays I. Um, I don't. It's not a day off. I don't go to the office though until later in the afternoon. And okay. what I do Monday morning is really uh, have an extended time with the Lord, um, just just to um, pour out my heart to Him. And I, I just learned in terms of myself, we have multiple services on Sunday, and there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of moving parts and this kind of thing, and a lot of energy is expended. And so I try to um, just marinate in the presence of the Lord and take some extended time with Him on Mondays, I spend time with the Lord every morning, but, but but in a concentrated way. And the next thing I do is that I sit back and, uh, you know, we plan our messages out. I'm doing a series and this kind of thing, but I frame the message for for Sunday, uh, the, the next weekend, and uh, do that. And that that helps me too because we have a worship planning team meeting on Tuesday mornings where we discuss where we're going and what have you. Okay. And then I try to get some exercise um, and just sort of, you know, uh, at this stage in my life, I got to get on that treadmill pretty consistently. <laughs> so yeah. I, tr- I try to do that. And uh, then I come in the office and on, on Mondays and Monday afternoon, usually clean up some things. I have some meetings with some of my key guys and, and what have you. Um, and uh, every other Monday night we have an elders meeting. Okay. And uh, sometimes we have elders meetings. I don't go on until a little later. So Monday's that. Tuesday, you know, get up early, um, spend time with the Lord, and uh, uh, get in the office. I have a worship planning team meeting, a meeting with my assistant on scheduling and that kind of thing, and, and, you know, the assortment of other things that I need to do. And usually I come home pretty early on Tuesday afternoon to uh, do some more prep stuff because I get up at three thirty in the morning on Wednesday. We have a fellowship Institute. There's about 90 guys that meet. It's an 18 month uh, curriculum kind of thing. I meet with these guys who are serious about theology and biblical framework and being prepared to go to either full-time Christian ministry or use their platform out in the marketplace to reach others for Jesus. And so, and so what time is that at? It's five thirty every Wednesday morning. Wow! And five thirty to seven thirty. Oh, you got to really love Jesus to get up <laughs> and want to be a pastor to get up at five thirty every Wednesday morning. Yeah. So I, I do that, and and so 
usually by the early afternoon, I'm sucking eggs, man. So, you know, and I have some meetings and that kind of, and I come back home in the middle of the afternoon. And uh, sometimes I'll have, uh, I'll use that time to uh, either read or, or prep or what have you. But Thursday is my long day of preparation. I, that's when I really okay. do the heavy lifting on the sermon. And, uh, and so um, the bulk of that day, I'm, I'm in my study okay. um, seeking the Lord and um, putting it together. And uh, then I give the stuff to our, our, our media people for PowerPoint by late Thursday afternoon. And uh, Friday is, is typically my day off. If I'm uh, often, I am traveling someplace. I'll fly out on Friday to speak at a conference or an event or this kind of thing. But I'm back in town usually. Uh, no later than six o'clock on Saturday afternoon. All right. And uh, then I come home and, uh, you know, I review the message and spend a couple hours editing it and try to get to bed early on Saturday evening. Typically, when I'm in town, I don't go anywhere on Saturday night. It's a rare thing that I do. I get up at 4.30 on Sunday morning uh, to pray for our people and to review. That's awesome. Uh, and... Um, I'm usually at church by seven thirty, seven forty-five in the morning. All right, and uh, so that's that's uh, that's that's sort of a typical week. And by the way, Karen and I Wednesday evenings we go out for dinner, so great. Know, so, so we do, yeah. Well, I know this can be a difficult question, but outside of the Bible, what book has made the greatest impact on your life? Oh man, there, there's so many. There, there's so many of them. Um, you know, The Pursuit of God by Tozer is a classic. It's a great and, book. Um, uh, the, 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 knowledge of, the Knowledge of God and The Knowledge of the Holy. Yep. Um, uh, you know, I think uh, Knowing God by J.I. Packer has had, mm-hmm. had, had a huge influence on me. Uh, in recent years, um, Dangerous Calling. Okay. Um, has, yeah, has, had, has really really, really blessed me. Um, wow. I, you know, Tim Keller's book on prayer mm-hmm. uh, recently has, has really, really, um, uh, blessed, blessed my heart. Um, you know, as soon as I hang up from you, I'll think of 17 others, but you know, <laughs> yeah. those, are, those are some. Yeah, no, those are great. We'll put links to those in the show notes as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. What's one thing that you'd like to see more of in the church these days? Big C Church. Oh, boy, I tell you what, it's hard to narrow them down to one one thing. You know, um, well, I, 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 it, it has to do, this sounds strange, but it has to do with holiness. Okay. Um, I, I am, I, I'm really concerned that... Um, over the last 25, 30 years, we've been so terribly concerned about connecting with people with where they live and living a transactional Christianity, Christianity that takes principles and transfers it into our lives. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it works and stuff. But I, I think that in the process, we, we may have unwittingly um, reduced God to a member of our community and uh, kind of the old line domesticated him, and I, mm-hmm. I, I wish I, I think there would be a lot more fire and passion if there was a vision of the greatness and the holiness of our God, the otherliness of God, yeah. 
And and I don't mean that in some obviously in some legalistic, but I I think there's a sense in which I feel like we have lost awe and wonder. Yeah. And uh, and it's that sense of awe and wonder I really believe that will drive the fires of justice and evangelism and 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 uh, all of those things. And um, you know, there's a weird paradox in the Bible that nearness is 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 most experienced when we paradoxically uh, realize how far we are from him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, I think that's one of the pieces. And I think that that's the key to revival renewal and all of these other things. And um, so I, that's one of the things. That's a great answer. Yeah. Uh, who are some people in your life that you most admire and why? Oh, I've got, I got a, I got a mother load of them. You know, one of the great things, and this is interesting. You should answer that because I was in Chicago yesterday, flying back. Um, there's this little file I have on, on my computer called God's Timeline, where I sort of have summarized God's what God has done into my heart and life. And when I get a little discouraged or I need, I need perspective, I will read it. But I was reminded again, as I read through that, that at every significant turn in my life, God has raised up key people who loved me and believed in me and uh, were there to to pour into me and give me what I needed at that time. You know, obviously, my, my dad next to Jesus is the greatest man uh, in my life. I think of my pastor. He's an unsung hero. Uh, he's with the Lord. His name is Burton Cathy. Uh, pastor of a small church. He was bivocational, but what a man of God, a man of impeccable integrity, modeled that to me. Uh, I think of Douglas B. McCorkle, the president of the Theology Bible, who saw things in me that I didn't see in myself and um, taught me how to, uh, how to really uh, um, dive into a text of scripture and to how to organize a passage. But also pushed me, uh, uh, you know, in the areas of public speaking and preaching and that kind of thing. Uh, he was a, he's been a great hero in my life. Uh, Bill Bright, the founder and uh, the late founding president of Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, um, marked my life in ways that's difficult to articulate. Probably the most godly man I've ever met in my life. Um, uh, He's known for his vision, but his godliness was greater than his vision. And uh, just what a great compliment! Yeah, it's unbelievable. In fact, I learned from him that that principle that a leader, uh, his walk with God has got to be greater than anything that he attempts for God. That's good. And that's uh, that's what I I watched him. And so I I think there there are those men. I got friends, great friends, partners in my life. you know, businessman here in town by the name of Charles Buffington, uh, loves the Lord, is a, just a great personal friend. Dennis Rainey, many people know who he is with family life. He's a, a great personal friend and uh, other people like that who have blessed me immensely. So, yeah, uh, and I think that, you know, um, God places us in community. I, I, I could talk about the elders at our church and all of these great people that I, that I've learned from, you know, Proverbs says wisdom cries in the streets. And, um, you know, if you want to learn, just look around you and, and let invite people into your life. And it's amazing 
the answers God has for us and the people that he's already surrounded us with. That's so true. Well, Crawford, you're someone that I know that I admire and that so many others look to. You embody all of these things that uh, that you've written about in this great new book called Unshaken. So I just want you to know what a blessing you are to me, and I want to say thanks so much for coming on In the Room. Well, thank you. Thank you. This has been a treat talking to you. And, uh, you know, when I get to Chicago, I, maybe we can hook up together. I'm coming back and forth to Trinity. Uh, I'll be back up in the spring, and it would be a hoop just to hang together. Absolutely. That will be amazing. Okay, man. Take care. My thanks to Crawford for taking the time to talk. And as always, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen in. As always, I hope that you found it helpful. I'd love to hear your feedback about this episode. So drop me an email at ryan at redemptionbc.org and let me know what you thought. And don't forget, you can stop by my blog at ryanhugley.com for all the ways that you and I can stay connected via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you'll also find any additional show notes that you might want from today's episode. Until next week, I count it an honor to learn with you. I love you and thanks for listening.